What we've done is we have swapped around the last two letters so that we can end this morning with a letter to the church in Philadelphia. And when I was studying this letter, it was one of the harder ones to try and really hear, Lord, what's the application for us? But I believe I was fasting this week and seeking his face, and I believe he's a very, very real word for us today as people. I believe Philadelphia is a ready church or was a ready church when this, this letter was written because Jesus said to them, hey, guys, I'm coming soon. It says, hold on to that crown that I gave you. I'm, I'm on my way. So the ready church of Philadelphia and Asia Minor received this letter from Jesus, not from some church leader who was in prison penning an epistle, but from Jesus himself, a letter that he wanted to encourage him with. Now, when I say Philadelphia, please don't think Philadelphia in uh, the USA. Um, it is Philadelphia back then in Asia Minor. And well done for the people that did call Philadelphia in the USA Philadelphia, because it's quite a nice meaning. It means brotherly love out of what was said to this church in the city of Philadelphia, means brotherly love. So if you go to Philadelphia in the U.S. these days, you'll find out that they do know it as the city of brotherly love, which is pretty amazing. Um, but it's not always sunny in Philadelphia in the U.S.A. I can testify to that. My sister lives there, so I've been there a couple of times. And it's not always sunny, but it seems like the sun of righteousness was shining on the church in Philadelphia in Asia Minor. And we're going to look at that in a moment and, and see what did Jesus say to this ready church? What did he say to this church who, who possibly have made him fully their first love, like we've said? Who made sure that they're not lukewarm, but that they're filled with warm water, as we learned last week, speaks about healing and filled with cold water that speaks about refreshing. That they held on to their faith, even amidst persecution, even under the rule of the incredible, brutally aggressive Roman Empire. What was there in Philadelphia that Jesus wanted to speak about? It seems like this community of believers were possibly a, a smaller group. Not the idea of a flourishing, massive church with the big building and thousands of people going into church on Sundays and leaving and the cars and the parking and all the pains that come with leading a big church, but possibly a smaller group of people when you, when you read what Jesus said. One of the commentaries said that maybe the idea of an urban storefront church in a local suburb, just small community church. So let's read what Jesus did say to the church in Philadelphia going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verse 7, and I read from the ESV translation. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, 
I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a rich promise to the conquerors. We've seen through these letters that in each of these letters it ends with a conqueror's promise. The one who conquers, the one who remains, the one who stands fast and holds fast and gets to the end. There's a promise for you. And to this church, he gives them an amazing, beautiful imagery of a temple of God and a new city. He says, that name will be written on you. The name of God, the name of his temple, the new city, and Jesus speaking, my new name. I've been trying to think of some new names for Jesus this week. I didn't get much further than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So I don't want to try and imagine what that could be, but what a beautiful promise. And what I saw in that is there's always more in Christ Jesus than what just meets the eye and what we understand. There's the mystery in him that we are yet to discover. So when he comes back, there's going to be revelation upon revelation of the very fullness of his kingdom that we are yet to see. And that puts in me again a greater expectation for Jesus to come back. I was having this discussions with Alika lately of heaven and what heaven could potentially look like and saying, hey, there might be animals that we have never seen. And then her conclusion is, so we'll see woolies, which was one of our pets in heaven. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure that all the animals who were here is going to be there, but there might be animals that we haven't seen. I don't know, God is a creative God, and it might be colors, but I could see how this stirred in the heart an expectation of something that's new and different and not seen yet. And Jesus says, even I, in this new city, I've got to have a new name, and I'm going to write it on you, the one who conquers says, in essence, Philadelphia, you might be a little weak, but I have a key. I have a key, and I want to tell you about this key. And I've taken this key, and not because you are a strong, amazing, front-footed, incredible, reaching, impacting church, because I'm Jesus. I used the key, and I opened it all. And this challenged me personally, again, in church leadership, because sometimes it's us let us open the doors. Let's, let's kick them down. And we've got to understand here that Jesus says, I'm the one who opens and shuts. And what I open and shut, doesn't matter how strong you are, doesn't matter how strong the enemy is, the key is in my hand. I hold the key. I mean, we said the whole time that all of these letters are yes to that church specifically, but it says at the end, let those who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's a corporate letter for us today as well. And he says, every nation comes to waste, I open doors and I shut doors. It's in my hands to do that. And what's up to you is whether you go through those doors. Last week, we spoke about the door of our hearts, where Jesus said, if you would open the door of your heart, I'll come and feast with you. But this morning, we're speaking about the door that Jesus opens. 
And I want to say to us again that the door is wide open. Will you go through it? Will you go through into everything that Jesus has for us? I want to ask you a higher grade, grade 12 science question. What's the purpose of a door? Anyone want to take a guess? Anyone's bold enough to speak loudly in front of 400 people this morning? To let something through? Okay, anyone else want to try? Come class. Keep something out. Okay, anyone else want to try? Just eight class. Double A grades there for Daphne who's answering all my questions. What's the purpose of a door, guys? This is like before grade one question. Anyone else want to try? Purpose of a door is to get someone inside a building. Because if I just have a door here, it'll be quite obscure, right? So there's got to be a building in order for a door to exist. See, we, what we do is we separate the door from the building. Now, a door can let in or keep out, but the purpose of the door is for someone to get into a building. So when Jesus speaks about the wide door that is open, what is he referring to? He says, guys, I have brought the new covenant. There's a wide door of salvation that takes you right now into that presence and that place of meeting with my Father. And it's wide open. It moves you away from being disconnected with Him to being a connected people that is in the household of God. In fact, that door is so powerful that if you follow me, you become that temple where He dwells. The question is, do we live like that? Have we gone through that door of saying, Jesus, you have paid the finished price. And there's a lot of things that people have come up with with what this door could be. But I believe in essence, it's the gospel again. Jesus is saying, I've opened the door, my church. No one can shut it. Doesn't matter what you face, what you go through, how difficult things are. The door of salvation is open and it's access back to the Father and restored intimacy and communion with Him. It's an opening to a place. It's right throughout the Old Testament, we see the temple being that place. And we're going to see what the key of David signifies. But I wanted to talk about that door. And I want to ask again this morning, have you gone through the door? Have you just peeked in? Like, I like that and I, I enjoy this, but I'm not going to fully go into what Jesus has for me. Have you put in your feet like, kill it out and been playing with the door? Have you run in and run back again because this door is open? How are you with the door that Jesus has opened? He starts by clarifying who is speaking. He says to the messenger, tell them this. It's the holy and the true one speaking. Jesus Christ, the holy and the true one. And this is important because these people lived in a time where the Roman Empire considered themselves holy and true. Whatever they say is holy and right and and perfect and Jesus comes and he challenges that and he says no 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 I don't care what whatever Roman leader says I am the holy and the true one and I want I want you to think about this if the holy and the true one has opened the door why would we hold back to enter into it because the fullness is explained what we will receive inside the house that is opening and inviting us into which is him and his father and community and his presence and he's living amongst us. Why do we hold back? Because he's holy and he's true and he's given us his truth. I remember growing up playing a game that we called the Donkerkammerkie. Anyone else? 
okay? Sounds dodgy to the English people. Literally trans- translated, it means little dark room. It could be the biggest room. It could be as big as this, but we would still call it donker kamer key. Something with Afrikaans people are calling everything key. Ach, is drink a coffee key. So I would like a braai key. <laughs> we like it with a lekker keier key. Key can't apply to everything. The only person who can say that Pierre is a lack of money key is my wife. <laughs> so please, please make sure that you don't add the key to everything. Any other man here can say, yeah, Pierre is a lack of money, but please don't call me lack of money key. Okay. But we used to play donker kamer key. And how donker kamer key would work is you would stand outside the door and someone would make the the room like pitch dark and then set booby traps and hide in corners and, and you have no clue. So you walk into this room like, ah, what's going to happen? And you walk in slowly and you are dead scared because you don't know what to expect on the other side. The contrast is that Jesus has showed us what we can expect on the other side of the door which he has opened. So let's run into it, into the fullness of it and grab hold of everything that he has for us. I believe that the letter to this church actually addresses some of what we find at the other side of this open door. And let me just say at this point that the open door is not just for the church of Philadelphia. It's interesting that it was not a result of something that they've done. It was just there. I've set in front of you an open door. And the open door that Jesus brings through the cross is for every church, for every believer, for every non-believer who's willing to walk through it. First thing he says is he speaks about holding the key of David. And I want to link this to Isaiah 22, 22, that is the only other place in the Bible where the key of David comes up, where he speaks about the servant Eliakim. And he wrote, wrote this about the servant. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and no one shall, shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. What Eliakim was prophetically illustrating is the Messiah that is to come, that holds the key of David, David being the king, David building the house or dreaming about building the house of God, the temple of God, and then a priest and a housekeeper who's been given the key, who would open up the door and say, you're welcome to go in, and would close the door and say, you're not allowed to go in. Jesus also in the Revelation, in, when we read uh, Revelation chapter 1 of Jesus being seen, he holds the key of death in Hades. So he is the one who determines where the doors are shut open or open or kept shut. He's the one who makes that happen. And this whole idea of the key of David speaks about that access to him, back to the Father, back to the presence, back to Jesus saying, I've opened it up now, guys. The new covenant has come, and you can live on this side where you are in the fullness of what I have paid for. The key of the house of David represented, I believe, something about a heart of worship as well. David was a worshiper, a man after God's own heart. And if you go and study Zechariah chapter 11, 12, and 13, it speaks about the house of David. And out of the house of David will flow this fountain of worship. Now Jesus stands in front of his church and he says, I've got the key, I've opened up the door. Come inside and live in that place of intimacy, of worship, of connection with me. The key also speaks about authority. 
that he's the one upon his shoulder shall be the government. He's the one with the authority to open and to shut doors. He's the one with the authority to let in and let out. And I want to take us back to, to when this happened in Matthew 25. Jesus was on the cross and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and healed up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened up. In that moment where he gave up his spirit and he died, the door was opened. And he reminds his church in Philadelphia and he reminds us today, guys, there's a wide open door of salvation. And on the other side, there's the fullness of everything that my father has for you and that I have gone to buy back with my blood and have given up. How do you get it from the one side to the other? Through trying really hard? For trying to please him? For ticking boxes? For looking better, sounding better, smelling better, acting better? It's nothing that you do that gets you to the other side of the door. It's Jesus with the key. You just gotta walk through it and accept that which he has done. And looking at this letter, I found four things that I believe we find at the other side of the door when he speaks to this church that is important to look into. Four contrasts in this letter, things that Jesus contrasts to one another to tell them what is on the other side which you guys can go for, which you might not have in its fullness yet here. And the very first thing is the door moves from little power to lasting pillars. I know that you have but little power. And then later in the letter, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Isn't that beautiful? That even though in our worst day, we would feel like we have little power, he says, the door is open. Can you have a perspective that in my house, you are a pillar? Even though the world is coming against you and trials are up against you and you are facing battles, don't fall into that trap like, oh Jesus, I'm so weak and I'm little. Let me unlock in your view, the idea that in the house of God, you're a pillar. You are part of that which carries a place for his presence to be. That's where he wants to move us from. This week, I had countless little power moments. Honestly, been one of the most difficult weeks this entire year. I don't know why. There's loads of reasons for it, loads of practical reasons for it that I don't want to bore you with. Even up till last night, I was like, Lord, I feel weak. I don't know what's up. And I've read my word and I'm praying and I'm seeking him. And, and I just said, Lord, I need to minister tomorrow. But I, I need to see the perspective that you have. And I felt him just remind me of this very first idea. Even if you have little power through the door on the other side, you're a pillar in the house of God. We've got to move away from that place where it feels like things are so tough. And it's clear when you read these letters that the world and society and government and politicians and opinions and culture is clearly against the church. So, so many times we will find ourselves there, Lord, we have little power. Let us not out of, not out of our little power try and go and kick open doors and force open doors or shut doors. Let's know that he's done that, but let's change our perspective that maybe in this world, our power is small. It's not a lot, but in his view, he sees a pillar 
in the house of God. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, gets me excited. The second thing, the door moves us from being keepers to being kept. Because you have kept my word, this is important, which word? About patient endurance, important. I will keep you from the hour of trial. So there is a philosophy that this speaks about the rapture. For those of you who know anything about that. Um, if you go and study the concept about the rapture, which is a few verses put together and considered as like doctrine, you will find that this was only an idea that started in the early 19th century by a guy called John Darby, who thought of this idea that rapture exists. So I want you to read Revelation, not with that idea that because you have kept me, you're going to be taken away, and all of a sudden everyone else will be battling. Now, I'm not saying that as a like official doctrinal statement, just putting a clause in there. Um, but if that's the way that you've been trained or explained, I want us to just hit pause on that. And I really try to say, okay, Lord, what are you saying here? But he says the door is wide open that if you've kept my word of faithful or patient endurance, which means that in this trial that you are already in, in this world where there's everything against you and, and you are being, you're being battled and bruised against, if you have kept my word, I will keep you in a place of comfort. I will keep you in a place of perfect communion with me. I will keep you in a place of peace amidst your trial. I will keep you in a place of perfect peace where you don't look for it in the world anymore, but you find it in a person. It's about Hebrews 10. It says, therefore, we will not throw away our confidence because the door is open and we have kept the word of patient endurance, we will be kept by Jesus, even if the whole world is being thrown into trial. For some people across the world, it feels like they're there already because of the incredible pain that some nations go through. The incredible hardship that millions of people face. For us as South Africans today, there's a lot of us that can relate and say, Lord, it feels like it's the hour of trial. Again, he didn't say it's a specific hour. Jesus often speaks with the concept that there's going to be moments where the earth is going to go through pain, where the earth is going to go through things, but you who've kept my word, you will be kept. You will be carried by the shepherd, by the father who comes and embraces you and pulls you close, and you can have a perfect peace and safety and security in that. Those who keep the faith and keep his name in patient endurance will be kept. And that's what the door does for us. Moves us from feeling exposed, unsure, uncertain, to a place of intimacy that I believe exists for anyone who loves Jesus, where you can be sure and secure and feel kept. Even if things doesn't go the way you want it to. We were there a couple of months ago in our Standing Ground series. But because you've got Jesus and an eternity perspective and Him coming back, you are being kept by Him. This comes true to me when I have been in India and see pastors who are deeply persecuted on a weekly basis. But their joy far exceeds mine naturally because I believe they saw the secret of moving through this door 
we have kept him with endurance. He's keeping us. What a promise. Thirdly, the door moves us from being reviled to being revered. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who calls themselves Jews but are clearly not, I will make them come and bow down and learn that I have loved you. Isn't that amazing? Those people out there who's mocking you and coming against you and, and falsely saying that they're part of you and they're doing the works of Satan, they're reviling you, church. They don't like you at all. They're up against you. Those very people. It's going to come a moment where they're going to come and walk into your meeting and they're going to bow down and say, Jesus loves this church. Jesus loves these people. Yes, it takes the pressure off us to try and do that. To try and go and defend and fight and debate and try and convince. You know what? If you just love Jesus and walk in the revelation of his love for you, the world out there will know. It's speaking about witness. And it speaks about an interesting concept here. It speaks about those who consider themselves Jews, but they're not. They do the works of Satan. And I thought about that for a moment. Well, isn't that us again in a world that everything is Christian and Christian culture, but clearly there are those who think they are Christian, but they are the synagogue of Satan, living the life that they just want to live however they want to live it. No, but Jesus is leave my Maybe Jesus saw my help, but then the next post is just swear words and everything else. I'm like, a ah, little bit of attention there. Seems like this was there already. All these people are like, no, we Jews. But then their lifestyles didn't add up or match up to that. And Jesus says, you know what? I get this, Philadelphia, that there are those who's going to come and speak against you and, and, and they're going to be up against you. But there's going to be a moment where that's going to be tur turned into reverence. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus loves these people, and they love him. I want to live like that. But I don't have to try and convince, but my love relationship with him is so shining that those who's against Pierre and his journey, and believe me, with a name like Pierre, there's a lot of puns that you can put in there. I won't bore you with it. But Pierre and his peer pressure. <laughs> they just, well, he loves Jesus and Jesus loves him. Sure, I've maybe said too much against him. I actually want to have what he has, what she has. Speaks about a sense of revival. That if the church lives in that revelation on this side of the door of what Jesus has done and we love him and he loves us, that the world will see and they will come running and say, I want that because I see a love relationship with a God that exists. Can we believe that that's possible in our community? That we will see the empty chairs in this venue and I believe that today it's quite full because the rugby is there. So I don't know what second service is going to look like. But all these empty chairs filled with people who've seen this love relationship with Jesus and come running and says, I'm not against you anymore. I'm for you, and I want what you have. The door of witness is open, guys. Will we take it? On which side of the door are you living? You've got to ask yourself that question. Then lastly, it's the door to move from part-time religion 
to permanent residency. The conqueror's promise to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. There's a place of permanence in the temple of God that's opened up to us. And I don't know for you, but if this is the door and that's that place, you might still be in the place of religious acts where you do attend church and do lift your hands and do go to life group, but you haven't entered into that understanding that you are the very temple of God. And when the Bible speaks about that you, it's the plural you. We are the place where his presence exists and lives. We walk around with that presence of God within our lives. You see, we could do all the right things religiously, say the right stuff, go through our tools and our books and do what we've got to do. But the question is, have you gone through the door and had that revelation that there's a permanent residency of us in him and him in us. Colossians speaks about it so beautifully. Christ in us and us in Christ, hidden in God. Isn't that beautiful? And I believe for many in the church world, it still sadly might be this. You go to men's group and you have your accountability moment. And you say, yeah, three times this week. Can you understand that you are living in a position of being the temple where his permanent residence he wants to dwell? Therefore, I don't want to go to accountability group and do the religious thing and say only three times this week. I want to live in the revelation that Jesus is in me and I in him. There's a permanent residency. Guys, and this door is wide open. Just go through it. Just move. He's done it. He's got the key. He's opened it up. Move from that place into the fullness of what he has for you. How permanent is it for you yet? The residency of you in Christ and Christ in you. Beautiful scripture, John eleven twenty three. Jesus said, all who love me and do what I say, not one or the other, both and. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Yeah, a place of permanent residency. And the door of that is open this morning. So I want to ask a question before we take a moment to respond. If there was a door here, this side representing half of the portion, and this side representing the fullness. Where are you? First of all, in your relationship with Jesus, your understanding of salvation. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you still think that you've got to do stuff for him to love you and accept you. You still don't have the revelation of 
Salvation is a free gift. He's opened up that door and no one can shut it, not even you. And even if you have walked to the other side of the door and have taken salvation, even if you then make a mistake and your worst sin can still not shut that door because he's opened it up. Simply just going back to that place and say, Jesus, I want it again. You hold the key. I want to live in that place. Maybe you feel like there's little power. It's just too weak. Things are hard. Life is tough. And God wants to maybe move you to a new perspective of being a pillar in his house. Strong, standing firm. I honestly believe we can be in the greatest trial and still stand firm. Maybe you've been keeping on to his name and your confession and your belief. And you just need to know this morning that the Father says, I'm keeping you. I'm holding on to you, my child, my son, my daughter. I'm not letting go. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. But if there's one thing I want you to know is I'm keeping you. I've got you. I'm holding on to you. I've got this. The outcome might not be what you desire, but desire me. Desire this close contact and intimacy we have of me keeping you because you are keeping my name. Maybe you've walked in a place where you've been mocked and joked about. And maybe you're scared to speak up if you believe in Jesus. Because friends might turn their back on you. So what? It's okay. They might like not invite you to that event. So what? They might not like that you actually live holy and say no to stuff. You might feel like you're reviled and they turn against you and the word is against you and they think they're Jews, they think they're all there, but they're not, you know what? Just love Jesus and experience his love for you and just remain in that place and I believe a day will come where they will see it. They will see on this side of the door, wow, there's a love relationship with Christ. I believe many of them will come and fall down and say, can I have that? I need it. And lastly, the final door that you might stand in front is that you've been trying to do the right stuff, say the right stuff, attend the right stuff. You're just tired this morning. You just, I can't anymore. You just got to move to this side where you say, Holy Spirit, come and live in me. Jesus, come and take your residency in me. And I place myself in you. I want to be permanently positioned in you, Jesus. The door is wide open. Come. All of these doors are wide open. Come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would minister to every heart this morning. That you would move us from little power to lasting pillars. That you would move us from religious acts to permanent residency, that you would move us this morning, Lord, from patient endurance to the understanding, Lord, that you are holding on to us in those difficult times. Lord, and that you would move us away from trying to please those who are against us to just being in love with you as a witness to you. I pray for that move to happen. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, move us this morning. Move us beyond the door. Lord, take us to the other side. 
Each one of us, Lord, because you see a beauty that's still available, that still of us, some of us have not accepted yet. And this morning, Lord, we say we put our hands in you. And we say, Lord, lead us through. We want to live on the other side. You've opened up this door. We will not hold back. We don't have to fear what is on the other side because what is on the other side is true and it's holy and it's beautiful and it's perfect. So we want to move this morning. I want to invite you, if you want to say that and say, Lord, I want to move, just just stand with me this morning and say, yes, Lord, the fullness of what you have, I want to take it.